Hi there. Welcome to Inside MERS Investments. I'm Kristen Ballar, MERS General Counsel. I manage all of MERS legal and compliance matters. I'm here today with Jeb Burns, the Chief Investment Officer, who leads MERS Investment Team in managing over $15 billion of assets for pension and other financial accounts. Hi, Jeb. Good to see you again. Good afternoon, Kristen. Good Good to see you. I just have to start out by mentioning that your presentation on the Defined Benefit Portfolio at MERS annual conference in Detroit last month there in September um, was just incredible. I I thought you nailed it, uh, as hard as it is for me to say say to you. Um, You gave a really substantive update um, while still making it accessible to everyone, um, even those with limited investment or economic knowledge. So kudos to you. That was great. Thank you very much. What was your objective for that presentation? So... It's really a couple things. I think you said it well. It's it's complex, and every everyone's job, if you don't do it for you know day to day, can be complicated. When you add numbers in, then it gets super complicated. What I try to share with them is first off, why do we do what we do? If, you know, people have their own personal portfolios. You save for reasons, but as an institutional investor, as a pension fund, we have certain constraints and certain goals. And so I try to share what those are, why we do what we do, and then to kind of make the complex simple. And, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that people did, you know, have that takeaway because that was my goal. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good, good news on that. Um, we did receive some questions during the conference live in the app um, that you promised to answer on the podcast. And actually, Jeb, by the way, I think when you mentioned the podcast at annual conference, I think it sounded like you said my podcast. I, I assume that you meant our absolutely okay. I, 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 I do I miss, I, I miss I misspoke I totally misspoke it's obviously our <laughs> podcast for sure so a couple of the questions we got where can I get a copy of the financial breakdown PowerPoint okay great so if you go to mersamish.com right on the opening on the home page you'll see you know link to the conference and the top there's videos and you can get merge defined benefit portfolio investment update Underneath that is a list of presentations, and you go down, you know, three or four, and you'll see MERS Defined Benefit Plan Basics. That Click on that, and you'll get a PowerPoint um, of my presentation. Fantastic. Yeah, and I think we're going to throw in the notes a link to the video of your actual presentation, so that'll be good, too. Um, second question, how is the MERS policy benchmark being determined? You know, it's a good question, but it's one of the most important questions that the board deals with. I'll explain kind of where we are right now. So a benchmark is simply a, in my world, it's a passive portfolio. So hypothetically, if you didn't have investment managers, you're going to take a mix of stocks and bonds, and it's not actively managed, you match it closely to what your objectives are. So if you're a young person, you might be 80% in stocks, 20% in bonds, and you hope that over whatever your time frame that that will allow you to meet your goals. So for MERS, we have a, right now, we have a roughly, it's 65 35 global equity stock mix. It's a little more, so it's broad. We The actual one is 45% to the Russell 3000, which is a broad U.S. equity benchmark. It's got large cap, mid cap, small cap stocks. 25% the MSC Acqui XUS, so that's broad-based international exposure to stocks. Then we have 25% in the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate. That's core fixed income very safe, very liquid. And then we have 10% to the Bloomberg Global. So that's international bonds. That is what we are measured against. That is how the board, and frankly, my boss, and actually everybody listening to this and everybody in our conference can tell if my team is adding value. The way it's selected is we have a five-year cycle. 
asset allocation cycle. So my team will develop what we think is the best way to be successful from an asset allocation perspective. We'll then work with the investment committee. We will then take that to the board to approve what we think is the optimal asset allocation mix with the appropriate risk. Because remember, you know, we are a mature plan, so we can't be 80% in stocks. We can't because we, we have to send a lot of money out to uh, our pensioners. Uh, then we will work with the investment committee and we will select an external consultant to look at that asset allocation. So we have third party recommend a benchmark. So I'm not picking my own benchmark. Right, it's independent. It's independent. And that's, that's frankly, that's a best practice. And that it's very, very appropriate. And then a little bit more about that benchmark, what it should be, you know, because it shouldn't be too easy. So it really should be, like I said earlier, it should give you a pretty good chance of meeting your objectives all by itself, right? And given that, I, you know, myself and my staff are measured against that, it should be difficult, right? Because you don't want to make it too easy. But over multiple time periods, you should have a chance to beat it. And it should have the right, you know, risk, uh, reward mix that you would that you would want out of your portfolio, and then normally it will, you know, unless there are dramatic changes to the strategy of the portfolio, we'll hold that through the asset allocation um, cycle, and then we will review it again. Next year, we're actually going to take a look at our asset allocation for the next five years, and then in 2020, end of 2024, 2025, the board will then select a new benchmark. We'll go through the process all over again. Do we, as a part of this process, look at other governmental pension plans benchmarks? You know, every every plan is different, right? So every right. every plan has different uh, time horizons and different liabilities. Uh, but I think what you'll find is the benchmarks are somewhat they rhyme a bit. So they they be some. You know, most people back in the day used to be when interest rates were really high. You had a sixty forty stock bond mix. And you basically had variations of that. As interest rates stayed low for a long time, we got up to that 65-35, and that seems to be standard. You just get variations around that. And another point is, one difference is you can have a broad benchmark. Ours is somewhat broad, right? So I can, that gives me more levers to pull. Or you can have a very granular benchmark where every asset class that you invest in has a sub-benchmark. So, and when you when you have that kind of benchmark, you have very low tracking error. What I mean is, you might be a quarter, like a quarter percentage point off. It out performance or underperformance would be normal. We have larger swings. Anybody that's you know watched performance, you know we you know, we have big years and we have you know we have some big down years too. That's because we will deviate, you know, a little bit wider from the benchmark. There's more swings. Yeah, right. So you're a little more agile. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Hey, well, yeah, and again, good, great presentation. Those were all the questions I think that we had. And again, our listener, our listeners, yes, our yes. listeners, um, definitely go check out the, the video linked in the podcast notes. Okay, so the next thing I'd like to talk about is third quarter performance. Can you share a little bit about how it went as well as year-to-date performance? Um, when you say um, that means there's probably good news and bad news coming, I think. Uh, so through uh, the end of the third quarter, uh, the portfolio was up 4.88% versus the benchmark at 5.93. So again, people have heard me, so a little bit of underperformance when the markets are up is quite normal. Um, and uh, the good news at that point, we are still, you know, versus our benchmark, which we just talked about, we're positive 
at the two through 10 years. So that's a good measure. We'd rather have it obviously higher, but you know that's where we are today. Um, year to date, and this is um, through 10-31-23, so at the end of October, these are not official numbers. It's just on our daily. So, it, so there'll, there'll be some swing with that. The markets have been much more volatile, so they come down a little bit. We found ourselves at 2.95 versus the benchmark at 3.24. So again, we, we tend to benefit um, when markets pull back. You know, how, you know, I know what your next question is going to be, is how do we see the next two months going? Historically, what you see is really, is particularly in December, end of the year, the markets tended, there tends to be an uplift. Um, so I would not be surprised if like December ended up, you know, positive. But coming into an election year, um, I know we'll get into it later, but the, you know, the geopolitical situation is, is, is extremely volatile. That's weighing on the markets. And you know, there's a whole host of things. You know, the cost of capital, um, you know, higher interest rates, that weighs on households, right? All of us. And it weighs on businesses because things are more expensive. And eventually that creeps its way into the broader economy. Um, we're still seeing resilience. But eventually, that creeps into the markets. I mean, I, I definitely noticed the Halloween candy was a little bit more expensive this year. It's just everything, you know, we had we had two years of really, really high inflation, and frankly, you know, inflation's still with us. Actually, we were talking before we got on, you know, on the call today that yesterday the the Fed paused rates, so we're they're they're going to hold between five point two five and five and a half percent. So they're not, you know, the economy's softening. There is talk of recession next year. But they're not pulling back and reducing interest rates, and that's really a sign that you know their inflationary pressure is is still present. Our baseline case is still higher from longer, and you know that that can be good in certain ways, where you, know, you get more on your fixed income. But it's it's going to definitely going to impact you know the areas of the market that we look look at investing. Do you have any predictions on when we'll see a reduction in rates at all, or do you think we're still going to go up? I'm definitely in the higher for longer camp. You know, I, I don't, I, I think things have definitely moderated. That's for sure. I mean, we've gotten out of the, a lot of the COVID backlogs, you know, people have found, you know, different avenues to, to meet their supply chain needs. But we were talking about labor. You had the example of, you know, um, municipalities are, have actually opened up some new DB plans in an effort to attract and retain police officers. That's happening in every single industry. You know, the economists that, I read and the people I talk to say we're looking at 10, 20 years where there's going to be a competition for labor. And when there's a competition for labor, that's inherently inflationary. And when you have a kind of a shrinking of globalization, I don't believe globalization, you know, we're still going to trade with China. We're, the whole world's going to trade, but countries are going to focus on their needs more. The U.S. is not going to be protecting every, everyone everywhere. So it, there's going to be higher costs on government. There's going to be higher costs on, you know, do, you know, getting you know regional safe and secure supply chains for businesses. That's inflationary. So even if you have a recession, I think there are limits to how low that they can uh, take interest rates. I don't think I again we've said this on I think three podcasts. You know I don't think anybody here is getting a 2.5 percent mortgage rate anytime soon. You know you mentioned some geopolitical events, and I, since we last spoke, there has been a lot of action. Um, thinking about Israel, oil prices, actually the election year that you mentioned. Um, what are the impacts of these events, short term and long term? You know, there's human impact, which is which is sad, and and, and really and awful. And 
intractable and, and difficult. But beyond that, what we're actually seeing, now, first off, Gaza Strip, Israel, not major oil producers, right? So, so those countries in themselves uh, do not really impact the markets. Also, it's not, it's not the mid-1970s. And so uh, Saudi Arabia and other oil producers have what they may say publicly, they have strategic national interests in keeping the oil pumping and meeting their economic needs. So using it less as a kind of strategic weapon, they're more really focused on the economy. Now, and also the U.S., you know, shale production's ramped up. Um, you know, we've been energy independent for, for quite a while now, and those factors themselves are, are make, you know, making it so that, you know, we're really not seeing a huge spike in oil, oil prices. So how does a war, though, for example, regardless of oil, impact um, the economy overall from a global standpoint? So, yeah, the, the, the Russia-Ukraine thing is a really good example. Okay. And initially, you know, because most of Europe was getting their natural gas from Russia. So that gets cut off. Surprisingly, they were able to use liquefied natural gas, um, use other pipelines. They were able to kind of, and through conservation efforts, they were able to uh, minimize the impact. And then, and then they had a very, very mild winter less, last year. So they were able to get through it. But... When you think about Russia, Russia is the number one wheat producer. Ukraine, I think, was like number number five. So, if those products come offline, that can then and that actually had an impact when you had the Arab Spring a few years ago. Suddenly, you get a you know they're importers of wheat, right? You get an increase in food prices any place, people get grumpy, and the, you see unrest in the streets really fast. So that can de destabilize areas, and so. That's just part of the risk equation. So when you're looking to make investments, you look at some of these difficult situations to say, what could be the follow-on effects? And also, more importantly, what's noise? You know, going back to your question about the, the situation in, in Israel and in Gaza is a little bit different. The, the, right now, the follow-on impacts, they're not there yet. But it's a dangerous neighborhood. It's pretty scary, and, and, and it could escalate. But those, are, those, that's kind of how we look at these things. Is that that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Sort of game theorying it out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, on the domestic side, you know, we're going into an election year. Uh, how does that impact the markets? Generally, what you see is the markets are much more volatile during election year, and all that's all about uncertainty. Households are about uncertainty. When people feel calm in their house, right, everybody's happy. But when you don't know what's going to happen. You, people get nervous. And when, you know, what business leaders like is policy certainty. If you're a Republican, you have a Democratic administration, oddly enough, no one will admit this, but when you get a change, it makes you nervous because at least you know what the rules are. You know, you know what the regulation environment's going to be, right? You know what tax policy is going to be. Uh, so when, when that's up in the air, it's kind of hard to make long-term business decisions because you don't know. Are you going to have a big tax bill? Are the subsidies you got or the tax benefits you got, are they going to go away? You, you, you don't know. So right now we're in a situation where we've got divided government. Everyone loves that. Everyone says they don't, right? But businesses actually do because nothing's going to happen because you can't get anything through. So that so normally what you should see is the markets will be, you know, volatile, meaning they'll be up and down throughout the year. And what direction that goes, depending on, you know, the overall health of the environment, you don't know, but there's definitely, it's going to be choppy up until the election. So unpredictability breeds unpredictability in the market, yep. sounds like. Yep. Um, well, definitely will keep us on our toes next year. 
uh, you know, our the podcast for looking to the end of the year here, the the reviews and our listenership, you know, they've been they've been good. Uh, I think it could be better. Um, now, what? Well, let's go back for a minute. Why do you think it could be better? Well, when I, it was my podcast, we didn't have any of those type of you know comments. Well, I, I think what we could do is shake it up a little bit. I think that we would like to have a special guest, and then you've kept te- you've teased it a number of times, um, but you have an office of experts here at MERS. And so, you know, I'd like to put you on the spot to pick one for January. I, I don't know how you feel about being put on the spot. Uh, well, I'm pretty nimble, but my brain's freezing right now. <laughs> but what I can do is I can promise you, I'll, I'll promise, we'll have a special guest from the team. From the team. From the team. From the team. That was great. You know, when I was on talking about the private markets, I know I thought that was really interesting. So uh, maybe we'll mix it up and not bring Ed back. Bring someone else. I, you know, that's kind of hard to tie down. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, we'll bring somebody else and they can kind of talk about their uh, part of the portfolio. I think that's great. So, well, before we wrap up, as we're recording this, it's again, third quarter just ended, moving into the fourth quarter, moving into the holiday season, um, looking forward to Thanksgiving. I just wanted to know what particular you are thankful for this year. I'm thankful, thankful to live in a safe and secure country. And I'm thankful for the wonderful people I work with and my family. That's wonderful talk to you next quarter, Jeb. All right. Take care. Thanks, Kristen. Bye. Look for another episode of Inside MERS Investments next quarter for continued great discussion on MERS investment performance and strategy. This podcast is intended as general information only and should not be regarded as investment advice.